Hey guys, this is the first of a series of podcasts I'm going to um, start releasing just as a teaching aid um, to help you in preparation for your lessons each week. The lesson we're going to be discussing this week um, deals with the Sermon on the Mount, and we're just going to be talking about different highlights and maybe some things to think about during the week as you prepare your lessons. Um, No way is this uh, criteria or a syllabus for how you should prepare your lessons, but hopefully... As you listen, the Spirit will be able to prompt you and lead you and guide you into understanding the things that our Heavenly Father would have us teach each Sunday. Um, Let's get into it. It starts in Matthew 5. Um, The very first verse says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Um, Every time we see mountain, um, we naturally can think of it in the context of a temple. Um, that's kind of the word that we associate with mountain. And so as we go through this, I want you to look for the parallels that you might see with the Sermon on the Mount and um, things we do in the temple. Um, This might not be something that you would teach the younger classes, uh, but it might be something to think about as you prepare your lesson for the older classes. Um, The very beginning of the uh, sermon, he, he... he, our Savior Jesus Christ goes through what he calls the what we call the Beatitudes, um, and he starts giving promised blessings uh, for certain people and certain situations uh, within the kingdom of God, um, which is obviously a, a pattern that we see within the temple. Um, there's he goes through a, a number of different things, and it's important to look at Joseph Smith translations in this as well. Uh, because we can get um, caught up in some of these beatitudes and think that maybe this is the way we should be. For example, blessed are they that mourn, um, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Uh, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they which are persecuted, blessed are they, blessed are you when men shall revile against you. So these are different scenarios that um, we read, and a lot of times, um, well, for example, in some religions actually throughout the world, because of the Beatitudes, um, there's some religions that, that don't even smile, because blessed are they that mourn, right? That's not the point of this, and, and a lot of Joseph Smith translations that you look up and the Joseph Smith Matthew uh, will help clear up a lot of these if you have questions on them as you study or if um, those questions come up in your lessons. So that's a good thing to take a look at. Um, after the Beatitudes, it goes on um, to talk about Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Um, so this is kind of finishing up the promised blessings um, that these people are about to enter into. Um, and look for look for different covenants possibly here. And, and think of the temple in the Mount more of a ceremony or a ritual um, a covenant or an ordinance um, than just a, a random um, sit-down fireside that we might sometimes think about. Uh, I think I believe that this was more than just a Let's sit down and have a talk here. This was uh, moving to a higher plane. This was moving on from the law of Moses to a a greater law. 
it's so important, um, so much so that our Savior Jesus Christ shared the same thing with the people in the American continent within the Book of Mormon. Um, after this ceremony um, in Jerusalem, at the beginning of his mortal ministry, uh, at the beginning of his post-mortal ministry, the same thing occurs, almost the exact same teachings, um, the exact same order, the exact same things are taught to the people in the Americas in Third Nephi. Um, and other sheep he had, which are not in this fold. So you can almost think of it as a high councilman going from place to place, maybe giving the same recitation of the same talk, the same um, type of thing. But again, I, I believe that it, it's more than that. It's more than just a um, fireside lecture that he was giving. It, it, it's more so a covenant to me. Um, but, you know, use the Spirit as your guide as, as you read through this and see, you know, what exactly is going on here and, and where your heart leads you. Um, in verse 15, um, he uses the term candlestick. Um, now, as part of a, a phrase, ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Uh, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now, remember Matthew, the book of Matthew is written to the Jews by a Jew, right? Um, and a better translation for the word candlestick or, in fact, um, the same word that, that's used here and translated to candlestick is also translated to menorah. Um, so you can actually realize that Christ was speaking to the Jews in a context that they would understand speaking of a menorah. Uh, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your folly which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come not to destroy but to fulfill. That's verse 17. Um, now, think about this. What is the law he's talking about? It's the law of Moses. Where was the law of Moses given? It was given on a mountain, Mount Sinai, uh, the Ten Commandments. Um, so he's not coming to destroy these commandments that were given previously almost in the temple text. Uh, but he's coming to fulfill those, but to, to move on to a greater law. Um, that's that's why one thing he has to set out early in this um, ceremony because Jesus Christ knows that, that that's going to be the hang-up probably for a lot of these Jews is they're so set in their ways to follow the law that as he reveals new doctrine and uh, greater understanding, it's important for them to understand that that's, it's not doing away with the old law, but, but moving on, moving on, onward and upward, um, becoming more like our Heavenly Father. Um, so that... That's something to think about as well as you um, ponder the Sermon on the Mount is how it relates to the ceremony with Moses on Mount Sinai um, and how this is kind of the second version of that moving onward and upward. Uh, from verse 19, um, it, it goes into verse 19 and 20, we, we start to see the obedience, or, or sorry, the penalties for disobeying the law for those that break the law is they they receive this new law this greater law these are the penalties um, for breaking that new law um, just like in any covenant that we make um, there's blessings associated with it and penalties associated with not keeping that covenant um, 
21 through 26 talks a lot about obedience. Um, goes through and thou shalt not kill. However, in these in being obedient to this law, um, there's we we need to go even further with it. Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto thee, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Um, so we're moving upward now. Like it's it's more of an internal thing now than than just what we do on the outside. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, that thou shalt by no means come out, Thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. It's all about absolute obedience um, here. And it's something that um, they go under covenant to to be obedient. And if they are obedient, those blessings are promised to them. Uh, just like we read in, in Doctrine and Covenants 132, that there's a law decreed in heaven upon which all blessings are predicated. Um, the same principle existed in the days of Jesus Christ and the early saints as it, as it does today. Um, the next section, he goes into the law of chastity and kind of how um, not even the act of committing adultery, but even the inward feelings, again, um, that our whole heart and mind needs to change uh, to not wanting to commit sin, to not wanting um, these different things. Another thing that, that people get hung up on in this section um, is the, is divorcement. Um, I'm going to read the verses here. It hath been said that whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Um, now, we might read this and think that um, that you know, anyone in the church that gets divorced and remarried is committing adultery. Um, that's not the case. If you go back and read Joseph Smith and Matthew, um, you'll get kind of a greater understanding of what this is all about. Um, and it's all about the writing of divorcement. Um, it's making sure that everything's finalized. Don't just cast your wife out um, and, and not um, go through the legal process of divorcement um, and and make sure that everything's done in order and in proper order because that can obviously cause some issues but as you read Joe Smith's translation um, these things will become more clear um, the the next section I'm going to talk about is um, section 37 through 42 I'm um, talking a lot about um, more the law of Moses here. You've heard an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto ye, resist not evil, whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Um, if, if someone needs, if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let them have thy cloak also. Pretty much give all that you can um, to, to help and to, to sacrifice uh, for our brothers and sisters in the gospel and outside of the gospel. Um, the, 
the Sermon on the Mount continues to chapter 6, um, where he teaches um, a true pattern of prayer um, here. And he teaches about how to pray, when to pray, um, the order in which to pray. Um, so many different lessons are taught here about prayer, about when to do it, where to do it, um, and everything that we can and should pray for. And he gives us even an example of a prayer. Um, down in verse 17, uh, I wanted to point out, uh, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face. So we see um, symbolism here in, in anointing and washings and fasting. Um, a lot of different temple um, type language is being used here as well. Um, and then starting in verse 19, uh, it says, Lay not up yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and dust, rust doth corrupt. And where thieves break through and steal, but lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor death nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Um, so much of this is devoting yourself completely um, to the work of God, consecrating your yourself and everything that that you have. Um, to the kingdom, not putting anything else above the kingdom of God. And something that we believe strongly in the church, um, that that, and so many of the early saints um, tried so hard, you know, to live this higher version of this law. Um, it's something that we are even still working on today. Um, it's just consecrating everything that, that we have um, to the church. Um, it goes on, you know, all the way through verse 27, talking about just everything you have. You can't serve two masters. Um, don't get distracted by things of the world. But the most important thing is the, the kingdom of God. Um, we go to verse 27. Uh, Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for his raiment? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the fields, which today is and tomorrow, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? Well, there's a lot of talk of clothing here, um, as well as kind of a segue from the law, um, from you know consecrating all that we have that, Know, have faith that Heavenly Father will take care of you if you're giving all, your all to the church and kingdom of God. Um, there's so many interesting temple parallels for me here. Um, again, something that, you know, probably be best to, to study on your own and, um, you know, and maybe point out to, to your class as they study to look for parallels. Um, and some of the younger classes, uh, that might not be as applicable. Uh, but it's important to kind of go through these Beatitudes and make sure that uh, everybody understands them. Um, some of the younger classes, you might uh, want to point out some of the things within these chapters of the wise man built his house upon a rock, um, what that means, how we can build our houses upon a rock, um, what it means to lay not up yourself treasures upon earth where moth and death, dust doth corrupt, um, 
and kind of talking about prayer um, are probably some of the, the critical things that, that we could learn a lot from, um, especially in some of those younger groups. Um, at the very, kind of towards the end now, in chapter 7 of the um, Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how sacred these things are. Um, he says in verse 6, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Um, in terms of thinking of this as a temple text, um, I find that so applicable um, to today, where we are asked all the time, you know, why is this so secret? You know, what's going on in, inside your temples? It's not secret. In fact, Christ says here that for everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. We want everyone to be able to partake of the blessings of these covenants. Uh, we want everyone to be able to partake of um, the, the blessings that are promised, uh, not only here in the scriptures, but also in the temples. Um, but he also warns, Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye pearls before swine. Uh, people that don't understand these things, people that aren't ready for them, um, it won't mean anything to them. Um, as we prepare for the temple, um, these things become more pertinent and they become more special and more sacred as um, those that are prepared to receive them, receive them. Um, he kind of, he uh, kind of finishes talking about the sacred nature of, of this text uh, with something that, you know, it really hits home to me as a father. He says, For what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will give will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? There's so much confusion about... Um, the nature of our Heavenly Father, especially when you contrast um, the things being taught in the New Testament with the things being taught in the Old Testament. Um, we see that we, you know, we, we think of God as, or you know, maybe other churches, other religions think of God as this ultimate judge that is waiting to punish anyone who screws up. Um, that's, that's not the case. In fact, here we see a, a perfect parallel of Christ calling our Heavenly Father a Father and making that relationship apparent um, to us that we, we have a Heavenly Father that loves us the way that we love our children and probably almost assuredly even more so uh, when he says that if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more should a Father which is in Heaven give good things to him that ask him I think that, that that's probably a section that you can spend a lot of time on especially with these um, kind of the older youth groups, uh, ages 14 through 16. And I think that could really resonate with them um, as they try to, to build their relationship with their Heavenly Father. And as they start moving from leaning on their parents and families, testimonies to building their own, um, I think that that is something that would really hit home with me at that age and may really hit home with them as well. Uh, later on in the chapter, uh, we see verse 15 through 16, and we can even go further than that, but 
Um, this is one of my favorite scriptures in talking about the Book of Mormon, right? And talking about Joseph Smith. Christ teaches, Beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Um, so, Christ, it would have been really easy for him just to say, Hey, look, after I die, there aren't going to be any more prophets, uh, which is what, you know, 99% of the Christian world believes is that after Christ died, that was the end of prophecy. Well, uh, that would have been a lot easier for him to just say, you know, this is it, you know, this is it, there's no more prophecy after me. But no, he, in fact, he gives us a test on how we can know where the real prophets come. So he says, Beware of false prophets, which come to your sheep, so they are ravening wolves. He warns of false ones, but then he says, You shall know them, you shall know the real ones by their fruits. Um, if, if real prophets weren't going to come, why would he bother giving us a test to figure out if they were real prophets or not? Um, to me, that's an evidence that you know there is continued revelation, that the revelation will continue to come even after our Savior Jesus Christ died. It says, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. So, he's using this analogy to talk, you know, about prophets. And the fruit of the prophet Joseph Smith, obviously, is the Book of Mormon and, and the lives of the, the people that follow those teachings. And if, if those things yield good results, if those things bring forth good, um, you can know that, you know, that's that's not a false prophet. That's that, that's a real prophet. And so, um, it's a perfect test. and something that I used constantly in the mission field um, to explain to people that, you know, prophets were going to come. And there's a way that we can know if they're real. And Christ gave us the test. And he gave us a pretty obvious fruit uh, from the prophet Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon. So, I, I think that the genius, part of the genius of this uh, Sermon on the Mount is the way he incorporates prophecy into it um, without even an understanding probably of those that were listening to him having any idea what he was referencing or what he was talking about. Um, he then goes on to talk about, you know, the rain, the, the wise man that built his house upon the rock, the foolish man that built his house upon the sand. Um, these are obviously great parallels to draw in your younger classes and even the, the older classes um, and, and how to really, you know, shore up that foundation of, of your testimony and where to put um, your testimony, where to put your faith in and what not to, obviously. Um, not to trust in the arm of flesh, but to trust in the scriptures, trust in the prophets, trust in the spirit of God and the personal revelations that you receive. Um, so, and then it says at the very end, it says, And it came to pass, so when Jesus said unto these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Um, so it obviously blew away the people that were listening to it. Um, he wasn't just reciting Old Testament scripture and drilling that into the people, but he was moving on from that, moving onward and upward into a greater teaching and um, it wasn't something that the people of the time obviously were used to. And as you read this text, uh, again, remember that he this is Matthew writing um, after the fact. So many years later, um, remembering the things that he can remember. And 
for the uh, from from the Sermon on the Mount in the context of the convincing of the Jews of the divine nature of our Savior Jesus Christ. So as you compare that with the the text in Third Nephi, it's interesting to see the parallels and the differences um, in some of your personal study. That might be something that you want to take a look at as as you go through it in your um, own studies. So this was just kind of the first attempt at a, at a podcast to help you as a teacher, maybe come up with some thoughts or ideas on the things that you would like to present to your classes this week. Uh, like I said before, don't feel like you have to use anything that I've shared here this in this podcast but just let the spirit guide you um, and hopefully that maybe as I've been speaking that some of the things came into your mind um, that you could share with your class. Thanks.